Our scripture today is from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 35. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Magic bread. 
me, that seems like a valid, a valid place to start. Anybody notice that this is a story about magic bread? Any, am I the only one who noticed this? Anybody else notice that? Does anybody here have a problem with this kind of claim at all? Is there, are, are you all accept that. It's fine. There are people that make bread out of nothing and walk on water. Is that? The reason I start there is I, we need to start where people really start when they read this stuff. <laughs> Look, I know the speeding of the 5,000. It's an old story. It's an ancient story. And it's a story if you're a Christian, you heard it before. If you ain't a Christian, you never heard it before. And if you're, not a, if you're a skeptic, you listen to this stuff and you go, give me a break. I mean, give me a break. Come on, guys. You have assembled in the 21st century in the most modern, hip city in the world, and you're going to get up looking as good as you do. <laughs> Just kidding. And tell these people about how they can trust a man who makes, who makes magic bread and walks on water. Anybody else got a problem with that? You better have a problem with it. Because... The implications of what this means ought not to escape you because it isn't a magic trick. Now, let's say he was going to do a magic trick. It would have been hard. Have you, do you remember, have you ever seen a magician walk on water? Have you ever seen that effect where a guy will walk on water? I remember a car, the Cars video. I don't know why I remember that. It would keep, because, videos, because music videos were a big deal when I was a kid. They'd just come out. And the cars did a video, I can't remember what it was, but at uh, one point that, you know, the cars, the, the lead singer for the cars, you know what I'm talking about? You guys have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? All right, so it was, a, it was a big band in the 80s, okay? Ted and Sarah know what I'm talking about. So anyway, there's a moment when this guy, the, the lead singer of the band, he kind of walks out onto a pool like this. And I remember as a kid, um, as the baby, uh, high school, college, getting angry when I saw it. Because I thought he was making fun of Jesus. I just did. I just, my first thought was, they're making fun of Jesus. And then I, I've seen the effect of other magicians have done it. But, but it, and what it is, 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 that, is, that, is, that, is that glass, a glass platform in the water is invisible. And it's a very easy trick to, but it's amazing to see. Because it looks like somebody's walking on water. Well, what about the bread thing? Wait, magic. Or maybe, you know what, look, a good magician, this is what he would have done. He would have gone and scouted out that mountain beforehand, and he would have, he would have put in it, it was tall grass, maybe he hid the bread in the grass. And after he hid all the bread, then he would later come back, you see? That's what he had to do, something like that. Something where he, where he would, well, maybe he took advantage of, 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 a, of, of something he observed, where everybody happened to have brought some bread that time. And so he thought, I'm going to leverage this and make it look, you see what you have to go to? You see where you have to go? You have to go to those places. Or, or, or you can go to him. Because <laughs> he's saying, I am the one. And we'll see what that means. I am the one who can make bread and walk on water. Now, now I'm, I'm gonna, what I want to do is, I think that these claims of walking on water and bread are unintelligible to modernity and to scientific minds. You won't understand the walking on water and bread imagery unless you understand the biblical background, the Old Testament story of the rescue of God's people. Because it's the only thing that makes sense. Because Jesus is answering a question in his wonders. 
He's answering a question in his, in his, in his miracles. He's, asking, he's answering a question as he walks on water. He's answering a question about who he is. And he, he knows that these people, because of their religious and ethnic background, and because of how well-trained and, and well-read and well-schooled they were in, in their Old Testament stories and teaching, he could count on the fact that they would click on some of these images. They would begin to see it or recognize it. And in fact, they even say, our, fa- our God gave our fathers what? Moses gave our fathers what? Man, they refer to man. And they, they, are, they are living in a religious and Jewish uh, 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 context. And so their biblical knowledge, Christ is capitalizing on a story that unfolds across thousands of years of history and image and type. And these are called biblical types. They're kinds of things. And it's answering the question of who Jesus is. Who is he? Is the hope of the story of eating in the Bible. Passover, it's a meal to celebrate the, the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. Manna, you know what manna means in Hebrew? Huh? That's what it means. Manna? It means what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? You know what's clever here? Because Jesus is called manna. The question was meant to be a beg. He said the question was meant to beg for the answer. They were supposed to go, bread is what is it? Is there ever an answer to what it is? Yes, there is. It's Jesus. You see, see it, even the Old Testament is setting up questions for them in the words of the Scripture. And this is a question, but not. And then, uh, uh, the, the, and then the banquet of God. D- 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 all the elders, 70 of them, all eat with God. Weird, weird scene right before the Ten Commandments are given. The banquet, the wedding feast then becomes a picture the prophets use again and again to describe the tensions and the, the jealousy and, and the beauty. God's jealousy enters people as a wedding kind of, uh, wedding and marriage overtone. Then Jesus takes this, oh, and he starts using God names for himself and equal, and then and using the images from the Old Testament to, to adumbrate, to increase, and to enlarge their understanding and give them a possibility they can reach into their stories and know who he is. It's really beautiful. You see, I, you, if, you're an, if you're a skeptic today, please understand, please understand this. When, we, when, when people say they believe in the Bible, if they truly do, then they believe that God has been creating a message across thousands of years in many different voices and, 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 and coherently presenting an image and a plan of the reality of Jesus. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing claim. Don't miss how big a claim it is. It's a huge claim. But it's a claim about the Bible. And Christ is saying, I am the bread you all read about. I, if you want to understand me and who I am and what I do, and, oh, you see, all the pieces are there. And I think all the pieces are probably here for you right now. God is giving us pieces. It's sweet. He, he gives us pieces so we can understand. But who is Jesus? Maybe if you're religious, this would help you. Uh, Pastor Roll Day Communion. We're going to celebrate. We're going to enact the I am the bread of life reality in, in gluten-free crackers. That's beautiful. See, that's, that's the reality of who he is. And, and so, but that's us. Some of you may not have a religious background, and Jesus knows that. Oh, it winds up that the image of bread is an archetype for all cultures. You see, bread is one of those universal 
eating metaphors that reaches deep into the experience of universally of all people. Because everybody's got to, everybody's got to eat. It's, just, it's a way of reaching into the very daily routines of people. And, I, and, and so as a universal question, bread is an archetype. You don't need all this biblical backstory, as it were, to create an opportunity for understanding. But this biblical backstory can give you new confidence that your understanding or your intuition or your thoughts about bread are accurate. And in fact, they are. <laughs> because it's sustenance. It's sustaining. It's how you live. You don't eat. You don't live. You don't eat Jesus. You don't live eternally. It's that simple. A child can understand it. Because a child knows how to eat. <laughs> and, and so it's this beautiful, uh, you know, Calvin would say this, that God loves you so much he talks little baby talk. That's my little Christian baby. That's right, my little baby. Eat the food. It's Jesus, you see? And, and he's using the parts and pieces of our, of our, of our, of our biblical background. This is the, the guts. This gives you a lot of a lot of material. And then he's reaching into the intuitive statements. And let's put it this way. Dionysian. Let's remember the Dionysian rite. The Dionysian rite was you would crawl into a, into a pit. There would be a screen of wood put above you. And then a cow would be slaughtered above you and drained on top of you. And then the God would cover you. See, the blood of the God would cover you. So the idea of eating to, 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 to connect with the God is a very common ancient idea. It was true in the Dionysian rituals. It was true in Ephesus. And that's why food sacrificed to idols becomes this big crisis in the New Testament. Because people are trying to understand what their eating means. See? We don't think this way. We think of only a diet and how good we can look if we could just get the right food in. So who is Jesus? So this idea that the God-man, he is presenting himself in the I am statements. Oh, I wish I could capture for you in the Greek. It's an artificial construction. In Greek, you say I am by one word. I need one word to state it. But if you say ego, I need. If you say ego, I need. You you're not speaking good Greek anymore. You don't have to talk like that. But, but John puts in Jesus' mouth the words I am. The self-understanding and self-knowledge and self-proclamation of the Son of God that he is indeed divine. He is the God-man. And so he is, he is advertising, and John is telling who is Jesus. And the reason, so all of this background, and all of this intuitive universal archetypes tell us, as Jesus says, I am what you need. I am what you require. I am indispensable for life. If you have what? Faith. I know it was a long text, and maybe you missed some of the parts and pieces. I'm going to come back, and one of the things I would like to do, John's chapters are very long. And John didn't write long chapters. Somebody else made those chapters long, and it's annoying. Because it makes these long stories that are hard to... Look, this chapter is 66 verses long. Actually, I'd like to preach on the whole chapters one unit, because I think it tells a story, too, as one story. But we're just diving into this into the wonders of these statements. But one of the statements was right there in verse 29. What is the work God requires? 
So Christ has presented the religious and Jewish question, and he has aggressively done so. They are, they are, they are, they are, they are aware. They seek now to make him king. He has tapped into the depth of human needs and fears and hunger. And they follow him across the lake. They, and so, and he tells them, then finally, and it's one, probably one of the clearest articulations, one of the clearest statements in the Bible, that you can only come to God. You can only know God, and you can only be reborn and spiritually by faith. It is one of the clearest, most unambiguous ways that God has said to Stephanie that Stephanie can never earn her salvation, that not one of you can ever be holy or good enough to please him or to earn eternal life. That it must, in fact, it has always been a gift. A gift. And we all come as beggars. So what is faith in Jesus? And the first thing it is, and I want to every week preach to this, is I'm preaching. Do you know that I want to come here? I, I often want to preach for what's called preaching for a decision. It's not very Presbyterian, but, but it's preaching to say, look, I, I, one, of the, one of the privileges I have is to ask you and invite you and call you to give your life to Christ, to surrender to him, to give your, and, and believe in him totally. I was writing down, I write down often in detail how I want to invite people who don't know God to come to him. I do this because to me, that's the most exciting bit. So um, Christian spirituality is a living thing, biblically understood. This image of bread is meant to be accessible to you. It's, it's drawn from the most common food source in the world, bread, a universal human experience. It's easy to want to focus on the bread part. What does it mean? What sorts of bread? Is it barley? Is it wheat? Is it gluten-free? But it is easily overburdened the image, easier and pass and press it for more meaning. It particularly it almost invites allegory. But don't miss the plainness of the image and how direct it is. Bread is the stuff of life. We eat to live. If we do not eat, we do not live. So it is eternally with Jesus. Now listen to this. When you put your trust and faith in Jesus and believe in him, you give up your efforts to earn a place with God. Wages equal death. Unless the work was no work at all. It was to put, just simply to put your trust in Christ only for your rescue, your renewal, and your new life. Amen. Okay, I, 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 I take nothing for granted. Nothing at all. I'm, every one of you, some of you I don't know. This is an aim to everybody I know in this room. I do not know with any certainty or confidence that all of you are regenerate. And what I mean is actively renewed by the presence and power of God himself. I say that because one of the twelve had a demon. I ain't making any assumptions here. Because it would be wrong for me to do so. And so, and in fact, the text even winds up going there for a good reason at the very end. But talking about the betrayal of Jesus. But the decision to give up working is a decision to put all of your trust in Christ, to surrender to him, to say you are nothing, to say you are a beggar before God. Yeah. That's the only way to come to him. I mean, there's a wonderful story that uh, the inheritor of um, Hudson Taylor's work was, uh, I can't remember his name right now, in China, and he was being visited by a very famous theologian. And they were talking together. And he asked Newell, he said, Newell, would you pray for me and my work for China? Would you pray that I would be nothing? And Newell said, dear brother, dear, dear brother, you can, tr you can take it by faith. You are nothing. <laughs> Amen. 
Don't be afraid of the zero hour. Don't be afraid of the zero point. Don't be afraid of discovering that you are empty of possibility because he is full of doing the impossible. And so, and so don't be afraid. Second, that's, that was addressed to anybody here who has not yet fully given their life to Christ. But let me follow it up with those of you who know him. Feed on Jesus then. Yet I need feed on, get sloppy. I mean, feed on Jesus. I want us to have a big, I remember my, my pastor when I was a child, we first started in church, he was a great preacher, but he was a southern gentleman, he had a wonderful drawl, and he would, I remember he would say to, say to us, I don't understand how you all eat watermelon. And I was, you know, because well, when I was a child, growing up in Mississippi, he described how they would put, they would work in the fields during the day, and they would put the watermelon in the, in the water, in the, in, the, in the river, or in the streams. And so it would be cold by the end of the day. And he said, watermelon's so common where he was growing up, you don't ever eat down to the green part. You just crack it open, reach in, and eat the guts. Just eat the good stuff. That's what I want you to do with the Bible. <laughs> I mean, I just want you, to, I want you to go nuts. Get in there and get dirty. Because we're going to feed on Jesus. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Your devotional diet is the first and one of the most important concerns of your whole life. Yes, Tom, you've recently become a Christian. One of the most important things you will do for the rest of your life is read the Bible. For for the rest of your life. In fact, I I would say this, your devotional diet is, is, is going to determine so many things about what's possible in your life and about the extent of your maturity and about your growth and and I, your devotional diet. Let, let, how many of you pay careful attention to your physical diet? Yeah, a lot of us are. We vary. We're good about diet. We're good about timing. You know, no, you don't eat after eight. How many of that? I don't eat after eight. If you eat after eight, just don't that. So, you know, and I don't think it's true or not. I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard these things. And, and we're always trying to manipulate or control our diets in order to get a particular result. The spelt, the spelt body on this. Um, well, well, I wish we paid that much attention to how much we feast on him. Because you feast on Christ when you open numbers. You feast on Christ in Psalms. You'll feast on Christ in Isaiah, in Proverbs. You'll even feast on Jesus in the book of Numbers. Because he is there. He quoted them. He owned them. He's owning them here. And he's saying, by them you will find me if you look for me. Oh, it's beautiful stuff. Now look, I would say vary your diets. And, and start thinking about what do you do daily, what do you do weekly, and what do you do monthly. And honestly, start thinking in terms of macro cycles. Bible in a year, January 1's coming up. It's a good, it's a worthy goal. And there's easy tools online that will give you the scripture regularly. So you will read it. And they'll you, guys, come on, Bible studies we have. These are rich times when we're in the Word. Let's get in the Word together. Because by doing so, we will keep feeding. And there's life. And I know some of you are like, Christians read the Bible, it's so boring. I know. Sometimes peas are boring. Sometimes broccoli is boring. Sometimes spinach is boring. But we all know you've got to eat your vegetables. So if, look, if reading your Bible is equal to eat, reading vegetables for you, I don't care. Go eat your vegetables then. Because you'll thank me later. I sound like my mother. All right. So, so right? But diet, those are bonuses. I vary my diet constantly. Sometimes I'll read vast parts of scripture. Sometimes I'll just focus on one thing to memorize. You know, because we can, you know what a trick I've learned? 
Because you can go online and print just about any part of scripture you want. Print a part of scripture that you can put in the car and, or make a couple copies. So you have one in the car, one in your wallet, and then one at work on the desk. And that way you can surround yourself with certain scriptures you want to soak in. You want to fill you. Snack. In other words, I'm, te- I'm trying to encourage you to learn to snack on Jesus. Amen? Let's snack on the bread of life. It doesn't say we have to eat a lot to get eternal life. We just have to eat it. <laughs> Let's eat a snack on Jesus. But I want your devotional diet to be something you're aware of. Will you come to me and we, maybe we're asking you to hold each other accountable about diets. It's really important. It can be very helpful to you. Second, what do I learn from this about how we do, how do we do life together? And I really think this is important. To-do lists from hell or breadcrumb trails. Which one do you want? What I mean is, a lot of times, Christian community is, is really, whether we realize it or not, the biggest wall of Christian community is there's a to-do list that we've got for people. That they've got, to, they've, got to, they've got to fill out before we can really come in. What would the to-do list be at, at, at first press? Just believe me, we have one. Even though we're, you say we're not very self-righteous here, we all have to-do lists. We all have lists that we want people to satisfy in order to be welcome with us. What's your to-do list? I don't think, I think we need to be critical of those. Because whatever we're doing to teach people to earn their salvation, denies Jesus, blurs the cross, and robs them of his power and dignity, it erases freedom from the church, and blemishes the cross. Oh, let's get rid of all that. Let's not, let's be careful that, that there is a certain easy, there is a certain easiness about coming into the community. You know what I mean? It's certainly like, Welcoming that, that doesn't set standards, but what leaves a trail of breadcrumbs. You get what I'm getting right here? What is, I'm saying, make Jesus a breadcrumb. Are, you, are there breadcrumbs you're dropping in your life so that people want to be a part of this community? I was hoping last night when we were at dinner, we were at dinner last night, me and all the singles. Uh, that's a dirty word around here, we don't use that word. Anyways, yeah, I know. We don't have singles ministry. That's silly. Uh, except ministry, but 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 uh, breadcrumbs, and and there was a young woman there who I didn't know. I don't know who she was. I don't know where she's going. Her name's Naomi. It doesn't matter who she is. She's sitting there, and we're all talking about church. You know what we're doing? We're talking and we're enjoying our love and, we're, and this energy. And we're jo- oh, by the way, Abby, just so you know, we realized we were the non-art friends. We were all your non-art people, and we were all at the non-art place doing non-art things like Philistines do. Anyway, yeah, no. He entered. He invited us to his art show and introduced us as his non-art friends. Anyway, uh, but what were we doing for Naomi or anybody else who's paying attention, or maybe even a server walking by? I'm telling you what we're doing. I hope we're doing it. We're dropping breadcrumbs. Life. Let them hear it. Let them hear it from you. Let them gather around you and go. I have heard that woman at work. What's she talking Life. And, you, and I'm telling you, there is a grace you know and a mercy you have obtained and a freedom you have known in Jesus that you should be pretty, pretty darn sexy to this world. And I mean sexy in a beautiful way, in a godly way. I mean, you should be attractive and drawing people to Jesus through the breadcrumbs. What is that? Are you feasting on Christ so deeply that crumbs are being made? See? The images really, really pop, don't they? They begin to give life to us and challenge us. Three, we, we need to move from Twinkies, from Twinkies to tuna. I'm sorry. Idols give indigestion. From Twinkies to tuna. In other words, it doesn't matter if it's garbage or if it's a good thing. 
Tuna's good. Twinkies are garbage. I think we understand that, right? Twinkies. Twinkies to tuna. Idols give indigestion. You know what I realized the bread of life thing does? It gives us a little um, clue uh, to finding our idols. Yeah. You want to find out what you really worship? What gives you life? Like, what do you say? What do you, what do you say like this? Like, man, that really sustains me. Now, I'll tell you, golfing really keeps me going. Really? So as a pastor, I've learned over the years, find what people feed on. Man, I just, I just love football. Or I just love art. Or I'm really, in, and you'll listen and you'll find that there's, every one of us has things that we, that sustain us and feed us. And one of the ways we can find our idols that we're worshiping more than him is when we are feeding on things and they are the things that get us by. <laughs> Like, like there's good things like alcohol. There's good things like that. Like there's good like Vicodin or Oxycodone. Things like there's drugs out there. There's the good things. But what happens when they become your sustenance? What happens? You know the clearest one is heroin. Heroin is the clearest form of worship of God I've ever seen. Because you surrender completely whatever it is your food, everything to live, just so you can get high. That's worship. And it's clearest, clear, clearest. That's why fasting leads us back to Jesus because we learn he is the essence of life and our appetites, our appetites are not what make us happy. And satisfying them does not bring peace. And fasting teaches that and takes us back and makes us realize whether it's Twinkies or tuna, idolatry is idolatry. And what Twinkies, I mean, maybe the internet sustains you. <laughs> maybe Facebook sustains you, right? Maybe, uh, who knows? All the popcorn we eat in our in our lives. Feed on Jesus. What's the final point? This is where this is where things get weird. Paul does this in First Corinthians six. Oh, this goes. Don't you know? Look at that. Where's my cracker? So this is supposed to be. It's a morning, this morning when we go to communion, and you receive this by faith. This will be Jesus to you in a sense of a place that the grace of God flows. It's not magic or anything. It's just His Spirit in it. Now, as I do this, if I'm going to eat this, yeah, it's over now. So this little cracker now is going to become my finger and my thumb and my hair and my nose. And so you are what you eat, right? And nowhere is this more real than when it comes to Jesus. You are what you eat. Walk with me here. Jesus is the fly in the ointment then. What do I mean by this? Every time you've sat at the computer looking at porn, every time you have gossiped about your neighbor and despised her, every time you were hated your husband or resented your wife, you brought Jesus right to that. Because he's in you now. He is the bread of life. What does this mean? This means when you are unholy sexually, you drag the person of Jesus into your bed. That's what Paul says. You see, the feeding on Jesus idea gives you a positive invitation, right, to all that Jesus is. But then there's another side to it, isn't there, where it turns around and goes, why have you despised holiness? How can you live the way you have lived before me, says the Lord? I am in you. How dare you subjoin yourself to that man or that woman or that person for that reason? Or how dare you live this way? 
and feed on the things of this world as if they were your only treasure and your only hope and your only sustenance. See, holiness and the imperative and the warrant for holiness becomes very vivid and powerful to you when you start feeding on Jesus. And you begin to realize it is his presence you have taken into the bar and into the places you shouldn't have been. I, I like bars. I don't know why it's a bar. Um, well, there's good reasons to go to a bar and bad reasons, right? Where does this end up then, finally? I have this picture then that um, the Eucharist becomes uh, we become the Eucharist for the city. Alright, let me show you here. We're all gone here. We heard the word of God. We're going to come here by faith. Bang! We're going to get that. And we're going to say, oh, Jesus, you love me. That's great. And we hold it and we treasure it. Now, that's our taking the Eucharist. By the way, remember it says Jesus gave thanks? That's the word, Eucharismo. It's a hint. It's a hint in the text to, of what? Communion, the Eucharist. And John knows it. Eucharismo! I gave thanks, said the Lord Jesus gave thanks as he broke the bread. The same word for communion. I picture that in our thanksgiving and love for Jesus, we will become the bread of life for the city. Jesus in us. Not because we are anything, but because he is in us now. You see, evangelism... Then it opens up as a flower, and, and it's like one brother telling another, one beggar, hey beggar, yeah, I know you're a beggar, and, we're, and I'm another beggar, this is where I found bread. That's, that's how I'm driving you to Jesus, you see? This is where I found my, amen. You know, and it's funny, the first time I heard that, one beggar telling another, it's from an old preacher from the Puritan age, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, I think. But when you work on the street for a while, you find out how true that is. Do you know, people, the, the streets a network of bread finding. They all talk to each other. Do you know where there's bread? Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a picture. That's us. That's us now in the city. We are the Eucharist for San Francisco now. We're going to offer them Jesus and who we are. And maybe, maybe just maybe, eternal life in this city. Wouldn't that be wonderful for San Francisco? Let's pray. I love you, Jesus. Thanks for feeding us some. Feed us some more. Stuff us. Fill us up, Father. Jesus uh, teaches good devotional habits. I pray good devotional habits to start happening in our community. Father, help us to find our idols and things we we uh, look for sustenance in. Uh, Father, uh, forgive us for taking the bread of life into the terrible places we have gone in our hearts. Forgive us, Father. Give us new holiness for you. And Father, of all things, would you use us to proclaim your love to San Francisco? In Jesus' name, amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, just like I did earlier. And he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he also took a cup of wine, we have wine to the right and grape juice to the left. They took a, a, a glass of wine. They said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Ah, you see, do you hear him talking? Davy talked to us. This is how sinful it is. 
Okay. So, Eucharismo. Thank, praise you, Father, for this. All right, so, I have, a, I have a terrible thing I have to say right now. I have to tell a bunch of people they can't come to this table. I'm going to put up a wall. Um, if you think you're a good person, you are unworthy of this table. Because you aren't doing the works God requires, which was to believe in him who he sent, not to be a good girl or to be a good boy. Praise him. <laughs> I'm sorry. Good people. You're not worthy to sweep the crumbs up. That's just the way it is. But if you're a beggar, <laughs> if you're a sinner, and a ruined man, a ruined woman, if you know you've been feasting on the world, but your faith is now in Jesus, then get to this table. Come on, give up the diet of, of Twinkies and tuna that you live on and come to him. Let this be the first day of a new commitment to feed on Christ again. Have joy, because his table is open to sinners, to the ruined, to the broken, to the hungry. You know what really amazes me? I grew up poor and homeless. I remember traveling around. You get, when you're out of money or food, you, know, you can't find a place to eat. You know what I love about Jesus so much? He sees the crowd coming, and he's just motivated to care for them. I love his heart. Don't you love his heart? He loves us when we come hungry. <laughs> hungry and desperate. <laughs> Praise him. <laughs> now, some of you are skeptics. And you think of everything skeptically and you, and you look at this analysis of 2,000 years of literary history and my claim that it has a synthetic unity authored by God himself and you think I'm crazy. Well, if that's you, if you think I'm crazy, you're not the first one. But let's talk about it. Because I think these claims are, are actually substantive, but they can actually be, they can actually be established. Credibly, not as some fantasy. <laughs> So someday I'm hoping if you're a skeptic, you'll watch us enjoy communion and you'll want that with us. Uh, let's please stand. Uh, brother and sister, First Presbyterian Church, yes? <laughs> Tell me, what do, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.